Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Plant Services Tool Belt Podcast. Today, I'm really excited as our guest is Zorana Koyich from Storm Sensor. She's a regional sales executive for Storm Sensor, and that's a company that links critical storm, sewer, and coastal infrastructure performance to climate data. Um, now you might wonder, what does that to do with uh, plant services and manufacturing? Well, there's actually a really close relationship, as Zorana explained to me this past February at the ARC Industry Forum. Um, Storm Sensor's overall goal is to provide real-time advanced insights on flood and overflow risks across the community, and that includes factories. So what her company does is provide advanced insights and warnings over when there might be a special uh, disaster or stormwater event that might impact plant operations. And today we're going to have a conversation with Zorana. She's graciously agreed to be on the podcast to tell us more about what she's doing. So Zorana, welcome to the Tool Belt. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you. <laughs> and we're also here with Managing Editor Anna Townsend, so it's going to be a three-way conversation today. Um, yeah, Zorana, your session at ARC was really interesting because it detailed technologies which facilitate more efficient plant operations, sometimes laterally, sometimes directly. So Tell our readers, who are mostly in the maintenance and reliability space, tell us a bit about yourself and the path that led you up to working with for Storm Sensor. Sure. So um, my background was actually in biological engineering. Um, I went to the University of Florida and I worked as an undergraduate researcher in, in environmental engineering, decided to go that way. And uh, one of my first jobs actually included interactions with industrial users. So there's something called an industrial pretreatment tech, and I work for the city to help the industrial users of the town understand their permits. I do the sampling. Um, so that was a great um, first step in understanding the relationship between our private industry that produces and the regulations. And um, it was just a nice uh, starting point to interact with, you know, maintenance, um, environmental health and safety um, officers to help them understand how their operations interact with the overall uh, wastewater treatment system for a municipality. Um, and then following that, I stayed in the wastewater space, working for wastewater treatment, manufacturing, um, you know, creating the different parts um, of the wastewater treatment plant. I worked for uh, consultants and, you know, I really got into instrumentation. I found it really interesting. And, you know, when I saw Storm Sensor, I was like, this is the next level up because a lot of instrumentation, um, as far as exporting their data, someone still has to go up with a flash drive, put it into the controller, get the data out, put it in their laptop, and then they get an Excel file. And, you know, with what's happening today with the climate, that's not fast enough. And I feel like Storm Sensor is delivering that real time insight that so many uh, plants need. That's really cool. I know Anna and I have a lot of questions about how the technology works, where the data is stored. So let me ask the first uh, question about that. There's language on the website which says that stormwater is the last unmetered utility. And I really appreciate that, where before uh, companies like Storm Sensors came along, uh, this was a by and large unmetered, uncensored uh, aspect of infrastructure. And I'm curious to know, uh, Let's talk first about where the sensors are currently placed, because it was a challenge for the companies to develop a sensor <clears throat> that would actually operate reliably in this unique environment, kind of slimy, sludgy stormwater, right? Yeah, so stormwater is a little better than wastewater, just because wastewater has more of the um, acids and you know other things. 
Um, but as far as our sensors, so we have two types of sensors. We have um, both are ultrasonic. One is a depth sensor. So that is mounted either on top of the pipe or if there's a vault. So it's monitoring the level um, of the water. And the other uh, sensor that we use is a velocity and temperature sensor. So that is mounted at the bottom of the pipe and it's monitoring how fast the water is moving through whatever area that the customer wants to measure. So combining that data with weather data and putting it all together into actionable insights allows the customers to make decisions about what they need to do, whether it's to open a valve, um, or maybe um, one of the simple things we saw was one of our customers here in Florida, Palm Frond, fell into their stormwater drain and obscured uh, the sensor. And so then it showed that the level was constantly high and we knew that was not true because of the rain events. So then they were able to target where they need to send out maintenance to pull that Palm Frond out. Very simple things, but our data is able to give them that insight. Very interesting. Well, I'd love to hear about some of the sort of real life examples that you have. I know you have some great case studies to talk about. But first, I want to touch on sort of one aspect of the technology in terms of data storage and collection. You know, you mm -hmm. talked about the need for the immediacy of that data and, and getting that to the end user as quickly as possible. So can you talk about how that data is stored? Is it in the cloud? Is it on prem? Is it a combination? So all of our data is stored on the cloud and the way that the data gets to the cloud, we have two options. So our primary option is through something called a LoRa network. So we have a sensor, the sensor is tied to a telemetry box. The telemetry box sends the data via the LoRa network to a gateway. And then that gateway sends the data to the cloud. Um, and this is great for uh, remote areas, um, where cell service might not be that great, or if it's a very small, um, you know, radius of network. So maybe a one mile radius of information um, versus a cellular network. Obviously, cellular is very dependable and very dense urban environments. So depending on what the customer needs, um, that's how we're transmitting the data and then storing it on a cloud. And then taking that to the next level of, you know, what can a customer uh, obtain from that? You know, if, for example, they were mostly interested in level, they can set an alert for the um, a text message to go out when the water reaches a certain level. And then if they need to take an action, whether it's to turn on a pump or anything like that, they have that time to take that action because they receive the alert in time. I was really surprised to find out that most municipalities really don't know what those levels are and it's sort of a, a guess that they're doing in terms of some calculations. So to actually get those numbers is really interesting. Yeah. So stormwater from, you know, a regulation standpoint, only about 42 states have separate um, stormwater legislation as far as funding. So, for example, Louisiana just came out with a new bill this past year to get an, uh, an extra assessment so they can get the funding. And this is going to help a lot of people because, you know, in the past stormwater, they just wanted to get rid of it. And now we're seeing that those systems that were designed for less people, less urbanizations, just are not um, meeting the mark for what we need in today's you know, climate as far as infrastructure and people and, of course, environmental climate. Um, so we want to provide that data every five minutes so they can make the best decisions. Well, let's dive into some of those real life examples. I know you have some really great case studies to talk about. So tell us how people are, are using this technology. 
Sure. So um, one great example um, comes out of New Jersey. So the Ordell bus depot is um, right next to the Ordell reservoir, which is operated by a private utility. So the bus depot and the reservoir utility, you know, they don't talk every single day. So the, um, you know, the, the bus depot, they want to know each one of those buses is about a quarter million dollars. So they want to be able to move them out of the way if the reservoir is going to uh, fill up and overflow. So what can happen if the reservoir is full and a heavy rain event comes, the you know water utility doesn't want to let go of that water, but they're going to have to. Right. So then they discharge that water and that's where it can create a detrimental effect to the bus depot. So what we did is we helped collect weather data. We are also using data from the USGS at a dam nearby. And then we also have one of our sensors placed right after the dam. And then we have a few more in that network. So we're constantly sending data, um, drawing conclusions, and we're able to see, okay, if there's this much rain and the reservoir is this high, that is an incident that might happen. So you need to move your equipment now. So that was really helpful for them and us to kind of show, um, you know, being able to help a transit authority um, get a little bit more in the private space. Um, the next area that I want to talk about is Coney Island Yard. So also up in the northeast. So, you know, they've got about 80 tracks. This is, um, you know, for the trains and they want to perform maintenance at the right time. And they've already raised up all of their power infrastructure. They're uh, building a multi-million dollar sea level wall around it, but they still wanna see you know, if an incident is going to happen, um, when is it going to happen? Because it takes them about a day to move all their equipment. So putting all our sensors out there, they're able to get that data in real time, not have to worry about it. Last but least, um, I want to talk about, you know, um, pump stations. So uh, pump stations can be a part of any plant. And um, if a power station fails or um, it gets overwhelmed, the plant wants to know what is happening before it gets overwhelmed. So constantly monitoring that level, they're able to see, OK, something's not adding up in the data. Let's send someone out there to look at it before it becomes a problem. And then the last but not last thing, sorry, I forgot to mention this one. Uh, we have an installation in uh, Detroit or just outside of Detroit. So they're doing a really interesting um, project using bioretention cells. So uh, as part of their stormwater network, they're using these bioretention cells that are basically mulch um, that, you know, allow the water to infiltrate through the ground and get cleaned that way. Well, if the water sits in the bioretention cell longer than 48 hours and our sensors are able to track that, then they know that that mulch needs to get cha changed out. So that is a way that they can do a maintenance event based on a engineering standard, which is that infiltration time rather than a calendar event. Interesting. And you're really speaking the language of a lot of our readers who are the maintenance and reliability folks who are trying to get into a more proactive position in general <clears throat> with their workload. Uh, we, one, one of our writers has often said backlogs should not have birthdays. I mean, there, there's there's a way to, to tackle the work that you've got in real time and not let it stack up um, before a disaster event happens. Um, and yeah, that that Coney Island yard example is really striking too, because you mentioned that it's 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 more as needed maintenance and not not calendar based. And there's a couple of examples you've got, but that that one made a connection for me with it with what mm -hmm. with our readers are, are we're working through. 
a lot of um, plants are located near bodies of water. And, you know, with sea level rise, things like that, you, changes are needing to be made. Um, so the more data you have of what's going on in your particular area, the better decisions you can make about where to spend your money for those improvements. So do weather events like hey. the U.S. has been experiencing in the past month or so elevate the profile of what Storm Sensor is doing? I mean, does the weather sort of advertise itself as as less predictable these days? Um, I would say that there's two factors. One, we have such better technology than we used to have in the past. So we're able to get data a lot quicker. And because we're able to do so, the conclusions we're able to draw show that things are changing, storms are becoming more severe. But I'd like to take a quote from a professor at Florida International University. Um, he was speaking about hurricane preparedness, and this is relevant to the private, public sector, everybody, right? Um, in Florida and all throughout the Southeast. $1 spent on um, preventative actions saves $6 on cleanup. Hmm. So if you are a plant and you invest $1 in a preventative action, whether it's collecting data and having that ready, um, that will save, you know, you can just extrapolate that on, on what your assets cost, um, you know, how much downtime your plant will be. Interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is climate change. Um, and mm -hmm. I'd like to just point to that a little bit. It's hard to ingest any kind of news these days without hearing about climate change. Um, and especially the focus around water resources um, is really heating up coast to coast. Uh, so you can you sort of talk about the connection between what you're seeing with climate change and how that's pressing the need for more and better water data? Yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, when there's two aspects to it. So I feel like there's a cumulative push on ESG and reporting, uh, but I feel like that is very carbon centric, which that's great. But I feel like it's missing the water angle. And so much of our industry is based on the use of water, whether it's for processing, incorporation um, into a product. Um, so how you use water, how you discharge water, um, and then, you know, what the climate around you will allow you to do, having the data to be able to make better decisions really helps. So um, if we were to shift gears, maybe go over to uh, the West Coast where there's a water scarcity, maybe having data of, you know, where water is moving through your plant, maybe you can make some conservation efforts um, through having that data that you might not have had before. Yeah, I've got uh, boys who are 11 and 9, and we talk about this. We talk about it as a problem which they and their classmates will someday have to manage, right? I'm trying not to, to mm -hmm. scare them too much, even though it's a significant problem. Um, and they're already aware for, uh, of, for example, the value of living right here in the Chicago area by a large freshwater body versus Phoenix, Arizona, which is having massive water water issues right now with the, with the drought out west. Um, mm -hmm. And so technologies like these, I think, are inspiring because they do point a path forward to managing the situation better. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think um, what this is pointing out more, and, and this is kind of like a person-to-person -person, uh, thing, is to, to kind of live with the resources that you have available. And mm -hmm. if they are not you know, immediately available, say, if they are in Phoenix uh, versus near fresh body of water, you know, what is the cost of getting those resources to you? 
Um, and then how do you manage that? So what do you need to change in order to keep going? Or do you change how you're doing it and maybe innovate in your process? So data can drive so many things. Well, you just recently did, attended a, a conference in Miami, I believe, that was focused yes. on disaster preparedness, right? Yes, that's right. So um, I just went to the disaster expo. It actually covered um, four different types of disasters. So it covered flood, it covered storm, like hurricanes, uh, earthquakes, and heat and fire. Um, and one of the things that's that's really positive for me to see is a lot of our you know officials they're heavily invested in learning more and how to be more proactive and also drive change within their communities to create a culture of being proactive. And then last but not least, you know we are beginning to see funding changes on a federal level to help with that. And there is this growing industry of mitigation. So there are all these great companies making uh, different flood control structures. So how would all of that fit together? You know, we could help a plant have the data to know, okay, um, it is going to flood if it, you know, the level of the water in this area increases beyond this metric that you've chosen. And then you have the time to take out that flood control measure device and, um, you know, install it and protect your plant instead of letting it all flood and then having to go through the insurance. And you might have a long downtime because of that. So you can be very proactive with the data and the proper equipment. Right. And not to mention the the paperwork and the meetings exactly. and all, all the extra work required to manage a situation exactly. like that. Well, a quick question about we were at the ARC industry forum and that had tremendous industry presence. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know, is there industry awareness of events like you just went to, the disaster preparedness one? Uh, were, 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 were some companies that you saw at ARC also present at that one? Um, I personally did not see a lot of um, cross-section there, but okay. not to say that it was not there. Right. Um, I definitely think it, it comes down to, you know, what the leadership is looking at. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I definitely saw at ARC was this increasing um, goal of digitalization. How do we track what we process and how we do it? And I think that digitalization and having the data is then going to drive the um, wish for even more data with other aspects to help protect their assets. And I think that will start um, bridging the gap between disaster preparedness from a municipal or only, you know, city type uh, perspective to then bridging it to a private sector as well. And I think the private sector, once it jumps on that train, is going to drive a lot more innovation in the mitigation and data um, consumption of, of water. Right. No, and I, that's why I appreciate you coming on the podcast today, because we reach, I'd say, primarily industrial audience industrial manufacturing about maybe 10 percent of our of our readers come from wastewater utilities sector um, mm -hmm. um so maybe we can finish up the the conversation by focusing on that direct connection between your line of work and the line of work that most of our readers are in which is the maintenance reliability side um there's a line on the storm sensor website which i thought was a really good powerful one it says storm sensors powerful alerts and analytics help cities to reduce power operational costs up to 86 percent and reduce site visits by up to 94% based on as needed maintenance rather than as scheduled. 
that's a huge conversation in the industrial space too, as needed maintenance versus as schedules. Maybe you could talk further about that connection that you've seen between the work you're doing and 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 the maintenance that's being done by these utilities. Sure, of course. So, um, you know, if we look at a utility, their wastewater networks or their stormwater networks are miles and miles, you know, wide, long, uh, however you want to measure it. It's it's taking up a lot of space and the personnel. Um, there's always a limited number of personnel. So if you're going to send someone out to take a look at one area, um, you know, they might not be able to get to all the necessary areas within a certain amount of time. So getting some aid from um, sensors, getting that real-time data, um, like we talked about before, you're able to send someone out when there is an actual need based on an engineering standard or a maintenance standard versus just a calendar. And, and so I think from a plant perspective, they can do the same. So they might not have as much piping or they might not have a campus as big as a whole city. Um, but if you scale it down, you really want to know where is water moving in your system and mm-hmm. how can you be targeted with your maintenance? So you're not running around, you know, chasing things, but you're proactive. You're taking the necessary steps that you need in that moment and you can plan out your day. You're not just constantly in a rush trying to chase down, okay, what's broken, things like that. So I, I definitely think having that real-time data, you see your entire system on one dashboard, where's the emergency? Okay, it's over there. It's not, you know, on the other side. And I, I think that can really um, create a lot more calmness for people on the maintenance side and allow them to have the time to be proactive, to plan to see, you know, what are some mitigation efforts I can take if there is some disaster, maybe hold a meeting with their, you know, environmental health and safety person and see, you know, where are there gaps that we can improve and really, you know, uh, shore up our assets for any future events that might come. Well, Zarana, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today about these topics. Um, We will put links to the Storm Sensor website um in the podcast notes Zorana, and also a links to the uh the the new york the new jersey transit case study page as well as some others that we can pick up that we talked about today um i thank you so much for being here today thank you guys so much for having me i really appreciate it thank you